The uh, sermon scripture today is from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 18. Uh, you can follow along on the page 28 of the New Testament. For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off, went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. And the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. We've been working through the series called Braving the Shadows about kind of naming our fears and inviting God to give us the courage to walk into whatever it is that, that uh, we're afraid of that God might be calling us into. And so we started this series talking about Gideon who was invited um, to be a part of God's mission in the world and who kind of wanted to test that, make sure that God was actually the one speaking and, and to face his fears. We talked about the fear of pain and and how Ananias went to go heal and to help the person that was coming to find him to hurt him. Uh, we talked about the fear of losing control and Abraham being sent out to go without a map of where he had to go, of go, I'll show you the land that you're going to go to. We talked about the fear of isolation, about being alone, and how Adam and Eve responded in the garden uh, to their disobedience and how they wanted to hide themselves from God and how we need each other for our community. We talked about last week the fear of insignificance, reading from Ecclesiastes, all, all is nothing, all is vapor, all is vanity, uh, but is there actually something of significance, is there something of value, of importance in this world? And I believe that those of us here would say yes, that there is something of value, that what God offers, that, that peace, that hope, that love matters, but the question is, is what do we do with that? What do we do with that significance that God invites us into? And I, and I think we have to kind of voice our own fears about failure. Like if we have something of value to go do, to be a part of, what is it if we fail at being a part of that thing that really matters, that can make a difference in someone's life? And so we're talking about the fear of failure. And we read from a, a parable in Matthew chapter 25 and I want to voice just a little bit about the fact that studying the parables is difficult. There's a way in which you hear them and you already feel something spiritual and you get something out of it. But I just want to voice, we can't do everything with this parable that you could do because parables have so many layers. Do you understand the little parable itself, that little self-contained story? Do you understand how that parable relates to the context that it's in, so like there's, a, there's events going on and then this parable gets spoken. So what's, what's the context? How is the meaning of that story affected by that context, that, that it comes up in the, in the gospel story? What on earth is that parable and that context meaning to the original audience, to who the, the gospel is written to? And then you get to, and then what on earth does that mean for us? And so there's so many layers to looking through a parable, and it's, it's usually so, there's so many metaphors and, and allegories and all of these things that there's so many layers and so much you can do with a parable. 
And so I want to just kind of help us situate what's going on in the text when we encounter this parable. It comes at the end of Jesus's, uh, it's in his last week of ministry before he's crucified. So he's already entered into Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. He's already uh, cleared the temple out of people kind of selling and doing some practices he doesn't agree with. He's already been questioned by religious leaders who want to trap him. And so he's navigating all of these traps. And then he sits down in the Gospel of Matthew and he starts teaching about what is to come. And he's talking about uh, the future of things, the end of time kind of discussions. And so like the story that comes right after this is that one about uh, at the end of time and God judges and says, how did you treat people? Did you feed the people? Uh, Because then you were feeding me. Did you clothe them? You were clothing me. And so he's in the midst of all this discussion about thinking about what's to come when he tells them this parable and he tells them this setup. It's as if a man, a master, uh, is going on a journey and he summons his slaves, his servants to come to him and he's going to give them his property. And he gives one of them five talents and another two talents and another one talent. And then he's going to depart. And he gave them each according to their ability. Now there's already a roadblock for us in this passage because the word talent for us means skills. That we all have different skill levels and abilities and that, love, that word ability shows up in that verse. But we're shaded by the fact that in the kind of medieval era, the word talent took, took on that meaning that we understand it as. But before, you know, 1500s or so, a talent was just a measurement of money. It's just a weight of money. Uh, and as things were in ancient times, it's not always super precise. So you get anything from 60 to 90 pounds of a precious metal equals a talent. So if you have gold or you have silver or copper and you had 60 to 90 pounds of it, you had one talent. And that, again, all these numbers are rough because if you got a, different kinds of metal and different sizes of them, um, but the rough equivalent is it's like a day's laborer's 20 years of work, 20 years of pay and one collection of precious metal. So everybody in the story gets a lot of money when they get that one talent or two talents or five talents, a hundred years work laid at your feet. And they were given their amounts based on their ability. So how, how much might they be able to do with this money? And they accordingly get different amounts of money. And so the master leaves the servants to their work. And as any supervisor or parent or anybody who has kind of led people knows, you don't quite know what happens when you leave people. What are you going to do with my stuff? And so the master travels away. And then it says that the one who had five talents went off and traded them and got five more. The one who had two got two more. And then we hear that the third servant, the one who had received one talent, went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, it's actually not uncommon to do that. Like, that was a common security measure. Like, I'm going to bury the money. It's safe. I know where it is. No one's going to steal it. I've got to make sure to cover the ground well. But, like, it's a safety measure. It's like a savings account. Um, But apparently, that's not 
what the master intends for his money. The others are going out and they're doing stuff with it and they're making more and this person uh, is trying to be secure and trying to do the safe thing but it's actually not the safe thing for him to do. And so after a while the master comes back and he comes to settle accounts with them and the first two reviews are great. Wow, you did all of this while I was gone. The one who had five has five more. The one who has two has two more. You doubled your money. Wonderful. And he tells them, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Things are sounding great. Um, But maybe if you were that third person in the room, you already know things aren't going to go well. Like, it reminds me of when I would teach uh, students in a, like a college setting, and I, I would often give them like writing prompts. So, hey, you're supposed to read this assignment. Here's a few things. As long as you're answering the question and you're in the ballpark, you get credit. But I just want to see where you're at before we get into class. And so then uh, when class would start, I'd say, okay, well, what are some of the things you noticed about this question? And I'd write the answers on the board. But then you'd always see somebody in the room who has that deer in the headlight look, Like, oh my goodness, we had homework. (laughs) I am not prepared for this moment. And so this poor third servant, he's hearing all these great reports, and he knows his report's not going to go the same way. And so it's his turn. And the one who had one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. That's probably not a great way to start. (laughs) Uh, Like for my students, they're like, I knew you were such a hard grader, I just didn't think it was worth it. Yeah, that, that really endears me to your situation. Master, I, thought, I knew you were such a harsh man. You reaped where you didn't sow. You gather where you didn't scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground, and here, have what is yours. And I think that this, this kind of characterization of, of the master as the harsh man I think he's looking around and saying, man, he keeps gathering all of the benefits and the outcomes of all these things. He's gathering so much to himself, and he didn't even work for that thing. And if I come up empty-handed, what is he going to do to me? So he's like, I, I can't be empty-handed, so I'm going to go bury this, I'm going to hide it, so that when he comes back, I at least have something to give, and I just can't, I can't take the risk of not having something to give back. And so he hides out of fear. And I think that we, we should do well to note this is one of those instances where when we hear parables, we always make, we want to make these kind of one-to-one correlations of, okay, the king in a story, the master, all of these people, they're just God, and like everything they do is exactly how you should read how God always acts and behaves. And there's just always a note of warning that these are similar stories, not exact things. And at least this, this master is definitely not a West Coast vibe supervisor or boss. He's not, oh, hey, it's fine, man. No worries. Um, he, he is very harsh in this story. Um, but we should be careful of just necessarily going directly to a one-to-one correlation. This is exactly the way that God speaks. Because they're building on the way that you know how people in the world interact, and they're wanting to show something spiritual in the midst of that. But just as a note of caution, uh, and so this master looks at that servant, 
and describes him in some unpleasant ways. You wicked, lazy, worthless servant. Maybe the guy's not too wrong about the harshness. Wicked, lazy, worthless. And then he takes this talent from that guy. He's like, oh, I only got one talent. But if you remember at the beginning of the story, all of, these, all of this money was the master's. It was never theirs. They were supposed to hold it and be trustworthy and do something with it. And so since he had failed the master, that one sum of money gets taken from him and given to the ones who have been faithful and who have done something with the money. And then you get the language that we all kind of um, are familiar with and the harshness comes back of that the servant gets thrown out into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Basically, you don't want to be this servant. Make a different decision. Don't end up in this servant's place as part of the point of what's happening in the story. But the question is, what do we do with this parable? And I find it interesting what the early church did with this parable. Of When you read through a lot of the ancient um, theologians, they read this story that the master who goes away is like Christ, who is about to depart from them in the story and who the hope is of the return, the return of Christ. What did you do in that time when Christ was gone? So that's the setting that they imagined in this reading. And then they imagined that the value, this talent, this money that was given to you was the gospel, the good news, that you were given something of great value and some people chose to spread it and they spread it well. And some people took that valuable, meaningful thing in their life and buried it and hid it and wanted to be safe and secure, which again, think about in that time frame of would you be treated well if they knew you were a Christian or not? It might be easier to hide that, that gift in the ground. Or did you go out and you do something with it? Did you make more, did you multiply the kingdom of God? And so that's how they read this story. And I wonder if, if the kingdom of God has value to each of us, what do we do with it? Like we each have to individually answer how well have we, we responded with the gift that's the abundant life, the love, the hope that we are given. And I think some of us are afraid to share that, to talk about it, to, to, to do anything with it. And I was thinking about, you know, each of us have our own personality traits, some things that come easier or harder to us. And when I was at Marquette University, one of the things that I did was we worked near the advancement department, because, you know, universities have uh, fundraising teams and I'm curious, of like, how on earth do you go to people and ask for money? Like, that's not easy. Like, wh what's the trick to your, <laughs> your profession? Like, how do you do that all the time? And their answer uh, was really great and meaningful. Was, oh, well, you're thinking about it wrong. It's not there's a win-lose situation and, ha, I got your money and you lost it and I win this scenario. But... If you believe that you have something of value to offer someone, like, hey, this is great research that's happening. Hey, these are great students whose lives are being affected. These great things are happening. And you invite someone to be a part of that, you're inviting someone to be a part of something that has value. And however you can step into that. And I think that we sometimes are afraid of like, 
talking about our faith and, and how is someone going to respond? Are they going to shut me down? Are they going to think I'm weird or whatever it is? But if we really think that our faith has value, that our, that our Christian walk has meaning, that there's hope, that there's love, why wouldn't we want to extend that offer? Like if, if there's anything of significance that God invites us into, why would we bury that invitation? Why would we hide from sharing that with somebody? And I think that we still find ourselves tempted to hide the good news that we have. And I wonder what fear causes you to hide that good news in the ground? Because all of us have at some point in our lives taken a shovel out and buried it. But part of the story is, hey, there's time. Maybe you can go and get the shovel out and, and dig it back up and do something with it while the master's still away. Like, What would it take in your life to go and say, you know, I want to share with you about what God's been doing in my life instead of hiding it. And I think about what it would be if we invited people into the life and the abundance uh, of all things that we were a part of, of you know, we've got Emmanuel Lutheran's food pantry coming up, of what would it be to talk to somebody who doesn't go to this church or somebody who, who, who does and hasn't been around in a while maybe and, and say, hey, would you come with me? I'd love for you to come and serve. We do this thing at this food pantry. I think you'd really enjoy it. All of, the, all of our, our clients, our guests are so grateful. Hey, come experience that with me. And instead of just, because it's great to come yourself, but like invite others into that. Or when we're having our uh, Christmas parade and we're giving out hot chocolate and all of that, not just, hey, I'd love to be there, but like, who do you know that would also love to be there and get to experience what it is to feel like, no, there's an abundance. I don't have to hold everything tight. We just can give this out freely. You see each person who goes, does this cost? I'm like, no. Enjoy. Take. You know, and invite people into those moments. And to invite people, whether it's, like an interfaith Thanksgiving service of here's a different setting. Hey, come with us. Come enjoy why, why we love being good neighbor to those in our community. Or to our own worship. Hey, I'd love for you to come and join us. Uh, here's what this church has meant to me. Here's what God is doing in my life. I just can't help but share that with you. And maybe in this season as we get closer to Advent and to Christmas Eve when you get to those highlight moments where who doesn't want to come and enjoy singing some Christmas music, lighting candles, that there's a gift that we have to offer somebody of, hey, come with me, I'd love to have you. And yet, too often we end up hiding that gift, that abundant life, and we don't, we don't always go out and, and be faithful with the gift that was given to us. And I think about, as a church, we've been given so much. Um, I was thinking about our endowment. Our endowment is kind of like a talent. Like if you take the average worker's like annual salary, if you put it something 50,000 to 60,000, some kind of around that ballpark, about 20 years of work, and you're looking at what has been gifted and given over to us. And how do we take that that gift that so many um, have given back to God, and how do we use that for God's purposes, for God's mission, for God's kingdom, uh, 
because it's been entrusted to us and we're a part of also learning how to entrust things over to the next group, to the next generation. That in another 180 years, there might be people that thank us for the way that we have been faithful and enabled their work to continue in this city. And I think about all of the times um, that we are invited to, to live out God's mission in our, in our midst and all of these places of significance and how do we live that out. And I want to encourage you, because our series that we're, that we're finishing up, Braving the Shadows of Having Courage, it might sound weird, but I'm really hopeful that our church can embrace failure. And that sounds weird. Uh, but there's, there's something of a gift and failure of that you tried that you didn't bury it in the ground and just hope to be secure, but you made an effort. It's like the old sports proverb of, you know, you miss every shot you don't take. You know, no baseball player hits 1,000, no basketball player shoots 100%. You learn to, to, to deal with your mistakes, to grow from them, from, to learn from them, but to try. And we've been given a great gift. Will we try and do something with it? And I think about some of our recent things that we've tried. I, I think on the week of Fright Walls, when they did the trunk or treat family activity out there, I was like, they've never done this before. We have no idea if anybody's gonna show up. It had been snowing. I feel like it, that, it was like really cold and rainy. I think it was just rainy at that point. It's like, we don't know if the weather's gonna work out, but we've been invited into this opportunity and we feel like this is a chance to share and to be a blessing to our neighbors. And there had to be at least over a thousand. I'm not sure how many people. It was packed of people uh, being grateful and enjoying the downtown, and we were getting, got to be a part of that. And I think about each, each day that we fill our blessing box out front, we take a little faith that the people who need those things are the ones who are able to receive those things, because we don't get a guarantee who takes from that, but, but we trust that, hey, we just feel like we're supposed to give over in abundance and we hope that somebody that needs it gets this. And I think about a few weeks back, we did communion and I was like, hey, we were talking about not hiding from God and from each other. And I was like, you know, it was just kind of on my heart, like maybe it would be meaningful for someone in the room to walk up to take communion and to see their own reflection and have the mirror and to think about how God sees them. Maybe somebody in this space will find that meaningful. I can't know that, but I'm just going to trust that, that God needed to say that or show that to somebody. And I hope that we as a community can learn how to try and be courageous in following God where God leads us. There are moments where it's going to fall flat and we're going to feel like we've, we've messed up or we made a mistake, but we can learn from it and we can trust again. And if anybody at all, if any faith community should be trusting and not afraid of failure, it should be the church who follows a crucified and risen Savior, who walked through death and shame and isolation to find where empty tombs were, to find where life comes through the end of all of that pain and through that what looked like failure. Can we trust God to go on that path? And so I hope in this series that you've contemplated some of the fears you have because we all have some fear. 
I, I can't name what your fear is. Maybe your fear has been some of the things that we've talked about, you know, the losing control, the pain, the, the isolation, that nothing matters, all of that kind of stuff. But maybe your fear is something else. But whatever that fear is, I hope that you, you have the courage through God's spirit moving in your life to follow wherever God leads, to take that next step and to follow faithfully. So that maybe a little bit like those faithful servants, you might hear the master turn to you and say, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just pray that in this moment and in this season you would help us to see all that you have gifted us in our lives. Lord, that there are so many blessings and so many uh, opportunities that you've placed on our journey to this point and as we go forward. Lord, help us to have a spirit of gratefulness and not a gratefulness that is just complacent, Lord, but one that is inspired to live out that abundance and to to be generous with others, and to trust you into the unknown. Lord, we thank you for how you have been faithful even when we have not. And Lord, we ask that you would just cultivate our hearts so that we would, we would spread your good news and that we would be faithful and not fearful. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to sing the song, Take My Life, hymn number 609. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Would you stand if you're able?